0: This is The Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod
1: on WEEI. Woo!
2: Welcome to episode 255 of The Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. The Bruins played two games against two teams from... The state of New York this weekend, and both games went to took more than regulation to figure out. Bruins took the first one over the Islanders on Long Island uh, in a shootout, and then they fell to the Rangers at the Garden yesterday. Bridge and Scott opening shifts from the weekend.
0: Well, David Pasternak got ejected for the first time in his career um, on a, a boarding of Ryan Lindgren, which you know Pasternak had really brought the physicality. Uh, was one of several Bruins who kind of turned it up a notch on Saturday and uh, had landed a really good clean hit on Lingren earlier in the second period. And then kind of, you know, catches him a little from behind, right on the left shoulder, drives him face first into the Dasher. There was some blood. And they, they called a major on the ice, went to review, upheld the call five minutes, game misconduct. Jim Montgomery after the game said he. Didn't agree with it. Didn't think he got him in the numbers at all compared it to uh, Giovanni Smith's hit from behind and Brad Marchand a couple of weeks ago. That was only a two minute minor. And I would say I partially agree with him, partially disagree with him. I, I agree that the NHL has been extremely inconsistent on hits from behind. And that's a problem because guys just don't know what boarding is two minutes and which one's going to get them ejected. Um, that said, I did think Pasternak got him from behind, and in in my perfect world, that is five minutes in a game. Um, I thought it was a pretty dangerous hit. I think he he it almost looked like he expected Lindgren to kind of turn towards him, and Lindgren just never did. He kind of kept his back turned the whole time. Um, so yeah, so that was that's a tough hit for Pasternak. I'm sure you know we can break it down. There's doesn't look like there's going to be any supplemental discipline. So looks like it'll just stay at the the one game and Pasanak will be fine for Tuesday.
1: Yeah, and had really hard to lose him in a game and not have him in overtime and you know, not have him the rest of the way through the third period. But um my opening shift has to do with the Bruins defense. Uh, McAvoy's been out, Forbert's been out, and we've seen a few different defensemen come in uh in relief. Mason Laura's been up. Uh, ever since Forbert went out of the lineup and Ian Mitchell came up and played a few games, but he was just recently optioned back to Providence. Uh, and instead, Parker Weatherspoon has come up and played the last two games against the Islanders and the Rangers. Um, eventually, we'll get to you guys' thoughts on how you think he played, if it's the right decision to to keep him up, um, send Mitchell down. I thought it was odd that he didn't play against either the Islanders or the Rangers, but that probably it, him being sent down probably is a little bit of a precursor potentially to getting McAvoy back.
2: Yeah. And, and and for me, it was the second time we got a chance to see the the Bruins and the Rangers swear off this year, obviously two of the top teams in the East. They've been kind of neck and neck for a while. So uh, the first time the Bruins played them on uh, in Madison Square Garden, it wasn't great. It was a, I want to say it was like a seven to four loss or something like that. And it just, yeah, it was it was a Swiss cheese type of night for the Bruins defensively, and then uh, obviously a closer game last night in Bridget, as you mentioned, um, losing you know your top player and arguably one of the best forwards in the world, not named Connor McDavid. Um, in the later stretch of that game, doesn't help them obviously. So, but I guess just how do you guys feel the Bruins stack up with the Rangers uh, as the the top dogs in the East? The records pretty similar. The points are the same. Rangers are above the Bruins for tiebreakers and whatnot, but um, the Rangers are a team on paper where you look at them and you say, it makes sense that they're, you know, towards the top of the conference. They have good goaltending. Jonathan Quicks kind of came out of nowhere and had a resurgence, obviously, behind Shesterkin. Um, the blue line is good, and up front, the Rangers have high-end skill and depth. The Bruins have a lot of that, um, but they, they they lack maybe like that extra high-end forward right now on their on their team but they don't look too out of place uh, against the Rangers. Do do they look like equals when they square off against each other?
0: I would say after this weekend, pretty close to it. Um, Now maybe you weren't quite getting either team's best because they're both coming off of back to back. Um, But to me, what it was really, you touched on Brian, but it was really encouraging to see the Bruins play much better defensively against this team because We know the Rangers are a pretty high-flying team. They play a fairly wide-open style. And down in New York, right after Thanksgiving, the Bruins got totally exposed. They had no answers. They were giving up odd-man rushes, seam passes, like just could not defend anything to save their lives. And then this time around, not that it was perfect defensively. There were a couple times they got stuck in the zone, but structurally much better. You didn't see nearly as many odd man rushes. You didn't see those scene passes through the slot in the offensive zone. Um, And they do it with McAvoy and Zaka out of the lineup, you know, two two guys who are important to their – very important to their team defense. So I think that would make me feel better after seeing that. Um, I do think they're fairly close. Like, sure, the Rangers look more talented on paper – but there's question marks there. Like, they don't – they've not been a very good 5-on-5 five five team this year. They're actually minus one at 5-on-5 five five for the season. So, you know, I think 5-on-5 five five success tends to correlate to playoff success pretty well. So, you know, the, the Rangers have now beaten the Bruins twice, but I think there's some question marks there. So, yeah, if I'm the Bruins, I I feel pretty good about my chances after this weekend. Not that, you know, I'm saying they're like – clearly better than the Rangers or anything. I think it's obvious they're pretty close, but you can feel better after this than you did after that 7-4 game.
1: The Rangers are still, I mean, they're, they're the real deal. I mean, that's not like if, if we are talking about the Bruins and how they would match up against the Rangers in the playoffs, that'd be a long uh, grueling series and it'd be a frustrating one. I think that would be, I mean, it would be fun to have a Boston New York series, but uh, it, it would be frustrating. We've seen the way the Rangers played the Bruins that first game um, and they, they pressure and they kind of take advantage of some of the Bruins weaknesses. But like you said, Scott, the Bruins being able to handle them, obviously they lose in overtime, but being able to do what they did defensively in the second matchup between the two teams without McAvoy and without Zaka and without Pasternak for, uh, you know, a chunk of the third, it, it was encouraging.
2: Yeah, that that last part too. I, I should have, you know, mentioned that as well. Not only does passion go down, but you also start without without Zaka and and McAvoy. And you know, just looking um, just looking through the Bruins' schedule, I'm trying to see what their what their record uh, is in clean games without Zaka and, and McAvoy. Um, I feel like it's. Uh, I was in the middle of looking that up, but I, I feel like the team's been playing pretty well without without those two guys. Like they've been, they've been stepping up. Like Lindholm has been stepping up. Um, Carlos was stepping up, obviously Morgan Geeky's been stepping up in his role. Um, so that it's also good to see that, that, you know, the Bruins played two really good teams this weekend. I mean, the Islanders are always stingy, but they've been playing some really good hockey. I think they, they've had points in eight or nine consecutive games. And obviously they play the Rangers tight. So it's good to see that when you, when you're not at full strength, it's, t- you, you can't say this Bruins team doesn't have depth. It's, it's not that they don't have clearly they have depth. It's just that they don't have. Like I said earlier, they, they do seem to be missing like like that, that one higher end forward. Um, but if you don't have depth, I don't think you're you're playing as well as, as they have been and, and competing the way that they have been without, you know, what is on paper, your top center and obviously your top your top defenseman.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, barring something crazy before the trade deadline, like this is probably going to be a Bruins team that has to grind out wins. And that's often how it is in the playoffs anyways. Um they're just, they're going to have to do it throughout the regular season. And they certainly have so far, obviously, if you look at their records. So I think that's, you know, pretty encouraging, like that they're still finding ways to win, finding ways to get points. Um, yeah. It's just, it's not going to be, there aren't going to be as many two, three, four goal wins as last year. It's just not going to happen. And they're not going to have as dynamic of an offense as, you know, I don't know the. Avalanche or Canucks or Vegas, like because like you said, they don't have as much high end talent. They have Pasternak, who's obviously one of the most dynamic plays in the world. Martian can still get hot, but maybe not as consistently as he did in his prime. And then after that, it's a lot of guys where you just need a couple guys to step up every night and it's going to have to be by committee and you know, because you don't, you just don't have that consistent, I don't know, third scorer, and you know we can all hold out hope that Jake DeBrusque gets going at some point, and maybe he will. But right now, he he he's not that. You know, he's not producing like that. So, um, yeah, that they're gonna have to grind out some more wins. But when you have the defense and goaltending that they have, that gives you a chance to do that.
1: Yeah. And to speak to the depth was kind of, I guess, kind of part of my opening shift um, having to do with, you know, people stepping up without McAvoy and Forbert. But if you also look at the offensive side of things against the Islanders and the Rangers, a few different forwards shuffled in and out of the lineup. So Brown came in and played center for the Saturday game uh, and Lauko came out and Uh, Boquist came and played his second game of the season against the Islanders on the right wing of the third line. And then obviously we've talked about how Morgan Geeky has moved up from being a fourth liner to, first of all, getting so much power play time and being on the top line with David Pasternak. And he has taken that opportunity and completely run with it. So when we talked about the Bruins losing their first and second line center to start the season, you you no longer have Bergeron and you no longer have Krejci. Well, then all of a sudden then you no longer have Zaka and uh, Friday you no longer had Patrick because he was taking a rest day. So we're talking about uh, needing centers to step up and Geeky played well as the first line center and on the power play. And Trent Frederick had to play a game at center as well, which we've mentioned before, that's his natural position and he's done it before, but... I think that was the first time this season or, you know, maybe he's done it in chunks here and there, but um having to get other guys to contribute at center with Zaka out.
0: Yeah. I, I thought, you know, I thought geeky obviously had two really good games and then I, I think a quieter game on Saturday. And to some extent, like that's expected because he's, he's not a true number one center. So he's probably not going to give you three, four, five games in a row like that. Um yeah, I thought, I thought Frederick did pretty well at center on Friday. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously, like, even though Gigi did a really good job filling in, I think you clearly do still miss Zaka um, just because it gives you gives you so much more depth. And I thought, you know, you you see Saturday, and it's obviously part of Gigi maybe having a quieter night is that Pasenak goes, you know, gets ejected, like, Maybe that line could have done something in the third period, even though they had been a little quieter to that point. But you, you take Passenach off, and all of a sudden, Gigi's just not going to be as effective at a center with different rotations of, of wingers um, joining him. It's like, obviously, having Passenach on his right was a big reason for why he looked so good those previous two games.
1: In, essentially, you're not a number one center as soon as Pasternak goes out of the game because that's not your number one line anymore. So you're you're kind of just um, throwing together different combinations at that point. We're seeing where Geeky fits, but it's not a first line if there's no Pasternak on it.
2: Mm. Um, so to so something I mentioned earlier, just it's been uh, it's been four games without McAvoy entirely, and pretty much four games without Zaka entirely. I think he played one period. Um, against against Phoenix or Arizona I should say. Uh, and the Bruins are 20 and 2. So, uh obviously they've they've gotten points in every game um without the two of them and also, you know, Matt Patra also was scratched against the Islanders. So there's there's you know they've been without they've been without some some contributors and, and and to put up those points um it's impressive. What did you guys make of of Potra's game against the Rangers after getting scratched against the Islanders, a scheduled sitting um we can debate till we're blue in the face. If we agree with it or not, it doesn't really matter at this point. It seems to be what the Bruins are going with for now, but he, you know, he impacts the game against the Rangers with another assist.
0: Yeah. I, I think these back-to-backs are going to be like, if you're looking ahead to try to predict when he, maybe he's going to get a night off, that's going to be a natural place to start. Um I thought he played well Saturday. You, you mentioned the assist, but even beyond that, I thought he was helping to create chances. Um you know, I thought I thought his line was was good with Van Riemsdyk like, and Frederick. That might have been close, to, like the best that we've seen that line. Which I think other times that they've been together has not always clicked. Has maybe shown some flashes. I thought they had some, you know, pretty steady offensive zone time at times. And, uh, and Patra was a big part of that. And he has, you know, he has the nice rush and, and dish over to Van Riemsdyk like, on the on the wing. Um, on that rush that ends up leading to Frederick's goals. So yeah, good, good job by him coming back in. And, you know, the second interesting thing with Potter is they're still not announcing any decision on his world junior availability. But to me, a game like Saturday, it's just more reason not to send him. Like everyone's, everyone's talking about, you know, his confidence and could he go, go get it back playing in world juniors. And it's like, you know how you get it back? You get back in the lineup on Saturday and get an assist. Like that's how you get your confidence back. Like, I, I'm I just wouldn't be that worried about it. Like I think he can he can do that in Boston.
1: Yeah, I hope they announce the decision on that sooner rather than later, but I did find it odd that they didn't rule it out yet. Um though I think internally that I the decision's probably already been made. They just haven't said so. Um who knows. But there was also a scary moment for Patra in Saturday's game where he in the sec kind of early on in the second period, he took that hit and landed it almost looked like on his wrist or, or something. And he had to go down the tunnel. I think he came back maybe six or seven minutes later. Luckily there was nothing um, that happened with that. And he played out the rest of the game, but um, for a second there, it was like, Oh wow. He, he might be hurt. He might be out. And then, you know, I'm sure it crossed a lot of Bruins fans mind. Like, Well, now there goes another center, Um, but he ended up coming back and playing. And I did, I agree with you, Scott. I thought he played pretty well.
2: So another notable moment from the Rangers game was uh, Trent Frederick, just an assist away from the Gordie Howe hat trick, obviously uh, took that inadvertent, in air quotes, we'll call it, uh, high stick from Jacob Truba the last time that these two teams played in uh, he got slapped with a with a hefty five thousand dollar fine for for these player standards. Uh, a lot of people thought it could have been a, a suspension, and I think the three of us here all thought it probably could have been a suspension for at least a game. Um,
1: Jack Edwards said he should have been suspended for half a season. So, <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, he, he he said if it was Marshan, yeah, it would have been half a season, right, which, right. which yeah. is probably true.
2: That's probably true. That's probably true. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, friend, uh, yeah, friend. Trent Frederick takes matters into his own hands and and he and drew would drop the gloves quick 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 fight but um thoughts on Frederick taking on a guy who's you know pretty big in stature and you know troop troop is tough
0: yeah good for Frederick like you could tell that they were kind of jawing at each other even in the first period so you could tell you know Frederick kind of wanted that and maybe even to an extent felt like he he needed it because you know when that happened frederick had like almost no reaction and he's talked about it since and basically it's like he was just shocked like he didn't it he almost couldn't fathom that like trubert actually just two-handed him upside the head and you know so he was like looking around like wait what just happened and like there's no penalty so then he was like well maybe i don't know maybe it wasn't that or what or something um so I think he, yeah, you I think he was really caught confusion. off.
1: Confusion. It was right. he was definitely confused. Like, yeah. wait, that's not your, cause it seemed like the most obvious call ever. And then when they didn't call it, he was just so confused.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'm sure some of it was like pride where it was like, he felt like he needed to, to answer to it himself. So yeah, that was good. I, I just thought he had a good game in, in general. Um, you know, the, the goal, the fight, I thought he was involved in a couple other chances um had one one shift that stood out where he was like was like borderline stiff arming Ranger, Rangers defenders protecting the puck and um you know it's was, it was pretty fitting for him to have a game like that on it was one of the Bruins era era nights and it was the Lunch Paley Sierra which the the Bruins have now they classified it as like 1976 to I think 85 or something and really the launch PLEC was like just the late seventies. Um, but John Wensink was one of the Bruins from that era who was in the house and on in pregame. And we got to talk to him between periods and I didn't know this, but he, like he actually knows Trent Frederick and his family. Cause Wensink lim- lives in St. Louis, Frederick's from St. Louis and he was actually one of his coaches for a peewee tournament at one point. So um it was funny he was asked like does anyone on this current team you know could they fit in on that on that team and he immediately said frederick and then like talked about their relationship and pretty fitting that frederick then goes out and has that kind of game like you said you know assists shy of the of a gory how it
1: was funny because in the first intermission uh adam pellerin talked to frederick um and he was like i wanted to i think or maybe it was the second intermission um he was like i wanted to get that fight out of the way early because of the fact that uh, of who was in the building and i uh, kind of fit in with the lunch pail era night and everything because they showed i mean they had guys come out of the penalty box <laughs> free game for instead of come they didn't all come out of the tunnel like some of them came out of the penalty box including mike milbury um and it was just a very symbolic like yeah these guys uh, used to fight all the time uh, it was a tough team and Frederick might be the only one of the Bruins right now. Obviously, we're not including Lucci because he's not with the team right now um, and probably never will be again. Uh, he's probably the only guy on the roster that kind of steps up to it. And he, I don't think he got his I don't think he got as much as he wanted to out of the fight. He won it, but it seemed like he would have liked to actually get a few more whacks in on Truba. Um and it it actually did happen right after Potra got hurt, so it was like, oh, is he retaliating? Like, is he mad about the hit? And then I'm like, nope, that's Truba. Um, that has everything to do with what happened between those two guys last game, and the animosity has been there because we've heard Trent Frederick talk about this hit, just random nights in between the the two games. Like he's been thinking about this for a while. Um, and I think that the team in general has because it was in their opinion a, a missed not a missed call, but on top of the missed call at a suspension that should have come and never did. So you kind of have to take matters into your own hands.
2: So uh, one thing that took place uh, in the Islanders game that didn't come to fruition in the Rangers game was the power play clicking. So against the Islanders, if it wasn't for the power play, the Bruins, they probably don't win that game. Obviously Uh, going three for three in the power play along with, stellar goaltending that was an opportunistic game for the Bruins right goaltending kind of builds them out a lot early you get a couple of power plays when you're down to nothing you tie the game and it was just kind of a seesaw from there but still some you know the power play looked good with with Shattenkirk back there obviously that's Charlie McAvoy's job to lose when he's in the lineup but um, while the power play didn't perform against the Rangers what what were they doing uh, against the Islanders that maybe they, they, they weren't, they aren't doing with McAvoy back there consistently, or was it just one of those games where it was working for them? Um, they seem to have adopted like that, that pass to the goal line quick to the bumper, which you've seen other teams do in the past, not so much the Bruins, um, which is how geeky scored. And then Shat Kirk with, with a couple of nice passes, one to pass snack and one for a tip from James Van like. So uh, it looked really good against the Islanders. And it's, 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 you know, along with all them uh two points.
0: Yeah, that 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 play, that kind of triangle from circle to goal line to the bumper, like that—that's just a dynamite play if you can get it. And you're right, like you see other teams go to that as as a go-to, and the Bruins don't seem to try it as much. But I really like. It feels like they should have the personnel to do, especially if it's going to be that unit where it's like Van Reems like is so good in that goal line area. And I think we've seen that he's also a good small space passer in addition to, you know, getting deflected goals and rebounds. And then if it's a right shot there, like geeky, like that makes a lot of sense. Y- you, you could do it on the other side too, but like, it, that's uh, that's a little bit tougher of a pass. It's not as natural. So yeah, I, d- I do wonder if they keep that setup where it's Van Riems, like and geeky with that play in mind and then you know the other goal from that game that really stands out was the one that shattenkirk sets up for Pasternak, and that's that's just like a classic kind of second effort play where geeky almost turns the puck over because he kind of whiffs on a shot but then sort of combination of him and shattenkirk win it back and the islanders were like already starting to go the other way all of a sudden you know bruins are hounding the puck they get it back and And now the Islanders PK stretched and you end up with that scene from, from Shattenkirk to Pasternak. So, um, yeah, I mean, like it's, it's pretty basic stuff, right? It's, it's a set play to the bumper and it's just winning pucks back with, with second, third efforts. So that's stuff that they should be able to do more and, you know, just sometimes they don't.
1: Yeah. And in both the Islanders and the Rangers games the, offic- the officiating was a little bit weird and off um the if it you recall what, it was really bad it was so bad
2: i feel like i feel like um i feel like an off game for officials is when they're on
1: <laughs> yeah it's it's more common than it's than not for them to, to really screw some things up well, uh Pasternak in the rangers game they end up going to overtime having to kill off a a high sticking call or was it high sticking? No, a tripping call on pasta who, you know, was skating in the guy he was defending just blew an edge and they, you know, at was pissed, but, um, yeah, there was a lot of weird calls, some non calls. It was just a weird game in general. So like, yes, the Bruins drew a few penalties and they were able to score on them. If you were called, there was a Marshawn goal that got called back that Instead of being called the goal, it was called the no goal, but then it ended up being a penalty on the Islanders, and then they score on that. It was just, it was kind of a disaster, a mess of things. There was um, another Islanders goal that was called back for goalie interference. Uh, Romanov scored a second goal, but it, that one got waved off because Omar got landed on. It was, it was a whole weird situation in terms of special teams and, and penalties and, and things like that
0: which I think they got both of the no goals right on the Martian one. I, I was just curious if they're going to have, you know, irrefutable evidence to overturn it because it was kind of hard to tell, like, what does it hit last his glove or his, or the shaft of his stick. And, you know, it, it looked like his glove. I just didn't know if it was going to be conclusive. Um, and, I, you know, some was argue with me on Twitter about this and they're like, well, it's inadvertent so it should accounts. And I'm like, no, like the, the rule is pretty clear. Like if it goes in off your glove, it's no goal. It doesn't matter if you meant to do it or not. It's the same thing with like the the offensive zone hand pass, which I think if you guys remember, like I think it might have been last year the Bruins had a play where like it might have been DeBrusque who like who fell and it like his glove just grazed the puck and then the Bruins scored and but it came back because there was technically a hand pass and it's like yeah, like it it sucks and it's kind of touchy but like that is the rule and it's kind of black and white
2: um when you say it's black and white scott does that like um so if somebody were to take a shot from the point and it would and it redirected off of somebody's glove that wouldn't count
0: i'm pretty sure that's true yeah i think the rule says it can't be a deflection off a glove
2: hmm um I, I always figured it was like, if there was like a pushing motion there or something like that.
1: Um, yeah, but, you'd think that cause the kicking, like yeah. for kicked in puck, it's like you can go in off your skate, but you can't kick it in. So yeah, it seems like it should be that, but yeah. it's
2: not. Yeah, well in any event, I mean, Marshan was very, um, he was, as we know, we watched him for over a decade. He was very sneaky about it. Um, those of us who've watched him know that he absolutely intentionally kind of like directed that in but he was so good at disguising it it was just like a prove it type situation and to scott to your point like i don't think they could have i just think they i just think they knew what was up and you know in the spirit of in the spirit of what martian did they got the call right because the only way they would have not called it a um a non-goal is if they um yeah they just didn't want to have enough evidence to to overrun it overturn it. But we all knew that that was he was he was getting away with one there. He knew what he was doing is is, is what I'll say. Um but yeah the Passion act one it's tough. It's like that's you got what 45 seconds left in the game and and a guy the, the ref in the neutral zone is gonna call a trip that just wasn't a trip. It's like just because something looks like a trip, like you have to be positive, especially if there's if you're the ref that's like you know halfway down the ice. Like yeah, like like passionate, got Palmieri skate, um, like three seconds earlier, and then he toe picked. It's like you, you you just can't make that call at that point in the game. Fortunately for the Bruins, uh it didn't come back to haunt them. But yeah, the officiating—it's just you, you, you get you, you get used to not expecting great uh, officiating these days.
1: Well, and Carlo, who did he? Okay, so they called Carlo for interference in the Rangers game, um, uh, because Lafreniere kind of fell down when he was just made basic contact with them in front of the net and brick mentioned like what like what about that as a penalty um so that was another one where it was like that's nothing that's just like a a defenseman clearing out in front of his net completely legally but guy the guy goes down and it's like no that's a penalty
0: yeah it was it was like the rangers realized that if they just went down they were going to get a power play out of it and it sucked because like you would have liked to have seen the Bruins try to hold on to that one-nothing lead with the refs staying out of the way and that just wasn't gonna happen. Like it seemed like every time someone hit the ice there was a call and it didn't didn't really matter how it happened. So like when you touched on like the, the Lindholm one, you know, a couple minutes after that. It's like the guy like Guy lifts his stick. I think it was Fox. Yeah, he like lifts Lindholm's stick into his own face. I thought Fox going down um, on the Heinen. I don't know if it's a trip or a slash that they called earlier earlier in the game. Like that was a dive too. That even if you think there was a penalty there, like you also easily could have called embellishment. So yeah, that was <clears throat> that was pretty weak from the Rangers. Like I, I don't I don't usually think of them as like a team that dives and flops around for calls, but certainly seemed like they resorted to that on Saturday. And I guess to their benefit, it worked because they kept getting the calls.
1: And that's exactly why when I when we were talking about Brian's opening shift, I said if this is a playoff series between these two teams would be really frustrating. Um because watching that uh as well as the first game, what with the no calls and missed calls, it just seems like that's what kind of series it would be. Like people trying to get calls, diving Apparently, you know, Truba can whack Frederick in the face and not get it caught. Like, it just felt like something that you would, Bruins fans might not even enjoy watching because it would just be one of those series. Which, it kind of, it happened similarly with the Islanders a few years ago. Do you remember that, Scott? It Just the fish eating in that series uh, that the Bruins ended up losing was just seemed so off.
0: The the New York Saints.
1: Yeah, the New York Saints. (laughs)
2: I love that. I love that comment from Cassidy. Uh you know, you know who must be frustrated is any goalie facing David Pash not gonna shootout. We gotta we gotta talk about this, about this. What's he's already one of the best goal scorers in the world heading into the season and he always seemed to be uh, pretty good in the shootouts, and now he's just unfair. Like now he just comes in and to, to say he makes it look easy, it's I mean it's insane. He's not even He's not even looking. His 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 stick is in the puck is like literally like behind his back. And he's just rifling, using all the flex in these 2023 20, sticks that they use. And it's not even fair. I mean, Charlie Coyle had an amazing shootout goal just before Pashnak. Um, a little bit more of a tra- traditional, just high-end finesse deke uh top shelf shot. But and then Pash and you're like, oh my god, that was filthy. And then Pashnak comes down and just like looks like a glitch video game goal and <laughs> just in and out of the net before you can even, you know, know what happened. It's just, what were you guys' reactions watching those beauties.
0: Yeah. It, like the, that's sh- the way he shoots off the hip where it's like, kind of partially hidden. It's, I, I can't imagine like being goalie trying to, because you're just not expecting from that angle for someone to be able to get that much velocity on it. And it, it does look like like a, gunslinger and like an old western just like draw and fire and um you know so Sorogan's a reaction to it like you could just tell like, you just kind of like see on his face he's just like well i can't do anything about that like what the hell all right good night um we i think
1: tried, P- guys. P- <laughs> we
0: tried. P- yeah pete blackburn on twitter called it um <laughs> fuck you good luck move and it's like yeah like that that kind of captures the attitude of it
1: It well I think Brian like describing it as a glitch is pretty accurate because you're like there's doesn't seem like there was enough time for that to happen. Like it was it was in the net before you even knew what was happening. Um, and there was another glitch goal, Lori's goal, I would say, kind of felt like that. It's like, where the hell did that go in? He took the shot from behind the goal line. All of a sudden, the puck's in the back of the net's like, that seemed like it shouldn't happen, but <laughs> but Laura I got a, a, his second goal of the season. And Coyle, so in terms of the shootout, Coyle's always been good at shootouts. That's one of his, like, we talk about how he he can bring a lot to the team on the penalty kill. We, we talk about how good he is at face-offs, um, how good he is at puck possession. But then once you get into the later stages of the game, you want him in your shootout. So that's something else he's been able to bring since they, the Bruins traded for him uh, five seasons ago now? How many seasons has, has it been? Yeah. I think it's five seasons since, 19. He came, since he came over from Minnesota. So um, he's yeah. been he's always been good at that. Um, and... So you see that on display, and then Pasternak followed it up. Like you know, he just had to one up him, I guess.
2: I think I think Coyle's first game as a Bruin was against the Blues um, in the regular season back in 2019, and I think that game he had a shootout goal in his first game as a Bruin, I believe. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, and and the shootouts they've been good at this year. The Bruins have been on on Pasternak uh, when you watch him this year and i know he had 60 goals last year right so how how can I get much better but or how, how can you appear more dominant he just does like he his his presence out there uh, he he doesn't seem to be not that he really was last year at that point in his career but he's just not getting knocked off pucks really he he's initiating contact he looks a little bit bigger he just looks like he's you know uh i mean he looks like he's in the prime of his career. Simply put, and to do to be playing this way, uh, obviously without Bergeron and Krejci, and you know he played with the two of them never at the same time, but those were his running mates in one form or another over the last his entire career. So to to be to be the guy, and you can say he was the guy last year anyway, but he is the guy now, um, undisputed, and and he just seems to do whatever he wants out there it's it just is what it is he just all three phases of the game he just seems more more mature and i I think that's the only way where his game could have grown from 60 goals last year is just to keep rounding out the other aspects of his game outside of scoring and that's getting bigger stronger more confident imposing his will more and there's just a confidence to his game right now where it's like yeah he's one of the best hockey players in the world and he and everybody else around him knows it
0: yeah i think i think you you see him like embracing, you know, being an alternate captain and taking on more of a leadership role where you, you mentioned, like, you know, sometimes helping to set the tone physically, um, which we saw Saturday. And, you know, uh, definitely interesting to get your guys' thoughts on on the head where, you know, my mind, he crosses the line a, a little bit there. Um, but also, you know, I think you've seen him play selfless. Like earlier in the season where teams are just so focused on, taking away his shot on the power play. All right. Then he'll set more up. Like he, I don't, I haven't checked in, but he was on pace to like blow away his career high and power play assists. And that's because, okay, the shot I want isn't there. Fine. Then I'll pass it to the open team. If you're sending two guys towards me, then someone's open. And he's been doing a good job finding that. So uh, yeah, those, like those are the things you expect from a team leader and someone who, you know like you said isn't just worried about scoring goals and is trying to do other things to help the team win
1: yeah and like when they take away that one timer on the power play for him he's had to find other ways to score on the power play which he has and he he's found ways to move the puck to those open players like you mentioned and is he still leading the team in hits
0: I don't think so I, I'm pretty sure it's Frederick
1: he but, was at one point in the season leading leading the Bruins in hits and uh, you can see him just not slowing down and not holding back whenever he has a guy lined up, and it was a big hit uh, that he laid that got him ultimately ejected. But it, it, you could see what he was trying to do, and that the intention was not an injury. Um, and I, I do think it was right on the borderline where. It, it could have been two minutes, or it could have been five, like you said, Scott. It, it was close enough to to a hit that they want to get out of the game that it's it's you can't be mad at the fact that he ends up getting the five for it. So, um, yeah, I think I agree with you on that call on the call at least.
0: Brian, quickly before you go, he's passed next down to eighth on the team and hits now. Uh, Frederick first with fifty one, Johnny Beecher second with forty seven.
2: Interesting. Who's uh who's three through seven?
0: Charlie Coyle, three. Brendan Carlo, four. Jacob Lago five. Zaka and Forbert tied for sixth.
2: Zaka, huh? Interesting. So, I mean, the hit, I, I kind of, uh, I agree with Bridget. I think it was kind of borderline. The difference here for me is, like, did, with the numbers being shown, yeah, but not until very late. Um, you know, it was kind of one of those. If you go back and watch it, uh, Pasternak kind of commits to the hit when when Lingren is kind of still, you know, on his side. You know what I mean? And then and then Lingren uh, kind of, you know, uh, goes for the puck, and and then that's when his back becomes exposed. Whereas like the the, the Giovanni Smith one on Marshian I was like you saw numbers the whole way. Um, I think the the length of time where numbers are being shown, I think, makes a difference in this situation. Uh, but you know, obviously I think it's certainly a, a minor penalty for boarding, whatever you want to call it. Um,
1: it kind of looked like too, he was, he wasn't trying to hit like the bat. I mean, he was trying to hit the shoulder more than anything else and not, not like the nameplate or the numbers. Um, but he did get enough of it.
2: Yeah. And, and it's also like, it's a, it's, it, it's a play on a, on a, on a loose puck, right? Like it's, uh, Lingren is—he's um, in position to—he—he he is uh, an appropriate player to be hit in that situation. It's not interference. It's not like you know what I mean. Like he should be expect again. Players need to do a better job of of bracing for contact and not putting themselves in bad positions. I think that there are certain plays where, like, if you're if you're a lefty like Lingren is and you're going to you know play a puck with your backhand you're gonna to shovel it along the boards. Yeah. There's only so much you can do to protect yourself, right? It's, it's good in theory, but things happen fast. So again, I, I think it was definitely a penalty. I don't, I don't know if it merited uh, a game misconduct, but um, if they deemed it that, which they did, I'm not going to argue about it too, too much. I personally would have given them a, a two minute minor, but for boarding. Um, but again, injury, ha- you know, there was blood or whatever, and, and they're going to, Take that into account. So
0: yeah. And um, I'm just fascinated to see like where the NHL goes on hits from behind and boarding. Cause like obviously there's the there's the whole thing with like Cousins' is hit on Good Branson, which you know wasn't punished on the play, and you ended up with a retaliation. And it's like the NHL does can't seem to make up its mind in terms of whether it wants to take that seriously and like cut down on it or just let them go or have them be minor penalties. Like it's, I, I've been on this for like a little while. I think I even mentioned it on one of the recent episodes, but to me it's like the call that they are by far the most inconsistent on. Like they, it's like refs just are guessing night to night on whether someone should be no call, minor, major in a game misconduct. And then like, forget the supplemental discipline of it. There's like, there's almost none for any of these, and and good thing there's not for Pasternak. Like that would have been based, just based on the standard, like it would have been pretty outrageous if we heard that he had a meeting with player safety or something.
1: Well, and and this is something that college hockey does so much better than the NHL. Like I feel like the college hockey uh, they they're much quicker to give game misconducts, um, and you know, and they're more likely to give supplemental discipline as well but that's because there there's an intention behind the way that they ref their games and that they are not allowing any of those dangerous hits there's it, if it's borderline you're getting five-minute major like it, it's a it it's just kind of a philosophy we're trying to protect players that is the goal of the ncaa and i watched and, and broadcast so many college hockey games. And I've talked to hockey East lead referee as well, uh, a few times. And I think he just got, uh, inducted into the U S hockey hall of fame, maybe. But, um, but yeah, so I've talked to their head of officiating and he always says, like, we, we talk to our referees on a daily basis. Like if they get something wrong. And then that, and they don't like pass the certain tests that they give, they give all of their refs, um, randomly then, you know, they get reviewed like refs get reviewed constantly in college hockey. And I feel like they get it right more often as well.
2: I also don't know if you guys realize that there was a, a bit of a history there between, uh, Pasternak and, and Ryan Lingren last year uh, in New York, Lingren kind of finished him hard uh, on the right wing boards in transition. And then I think passionate came back like maybe a few shifts later, a period. And uh, Lindgren was admiring his, his pass. Uh, and then passionate, I came from the blind side and, and and hit him pretty good um, and was called for interference. So it just seems like, and I also remember when Lindgren was uh, a rookie ish, he had a scuffle with, 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 with Bergeron and Marchand and that front. And he just seems to be a thorn in the, in the side of the Bruins when they play. and, obviously being uh bruins uh a bruins draft pick uh and and then obviously getting traded in the Rick Nash deal i'm sure that the, he he plays with a chip on his shoulder when he does play boston but he's a player that had he stuck around in boston obviously hindsight's 2020 the rick nash trade i think anybody would be disingenuous if they were to say in hindsight that like they wouldn't have done that trade at the time uh like the bruins were a really good team and had a pretty good deadline. and You add Rick Nash to that team, and it was kind of like they had a really, really high ceiling, and they fell to a really good Tampa Bay team. And at the time, it was like, sure, send off this kid, Lindgren. But he turns out to be a really pesky top-four defenseman in the NHL.
1: Yeah. Wait, can I just say something really quick? Cause it's funny that you, you mentioned Rick Nash and I had just mentioned. So the, the referee, the, the head of referees that I was talking about, his name is Brian Murphy. And he did just get inducted into um, the U S hockey hall of fame just about a few weeks ago. I was sitting in between Rick Nash and Brian Murphy at a, at a hockey game a month ago. They were one was on my right. One was on my left. It was just kind of funny that you mentioned, I just mentioned someone you just mentioned another person and they were both, for different reasons at that game. Rick Nash is uh, now a scout for Columbus and um, Brian Murphy was there trying to make sure he was on top of, you know, seeing how his officials were were doing in that game. So.
0: Yeah. I was just going to say like Brian to add on to your history of bad blood between the Bruins. Bruins don't like Lindgren. He doesn't like the Bruins that incident with Bergeron. It was after that, that Marchand said, he's not going to have a very long career in the NHL, which uh, was not an accurate prediction because Lindgren has, as you said, it turned out to have a a very nice career and has made a really good partner for Adam Fox. So, um, but yeah, there, I think it like, it started right around then where, and I don't think it's ever changed. Like, I, I think it's just been kind of disrespect and, and you know, some, some hatred from, from both sides.
2: Definitely a, definitely a player that uh, you, you talk about Trent Frederick being a part of the um, was blue collar AC. Montreal, Montreville. Montreville. Montreville AC. Uh, Ryan Lindgren, you know, that, that he's another player that would fit in that category. And, um, you know, definitely a, a Bruins style player, at least a historically Bruins style of player. I know the game has been changing a little bit the last five, six, seven years. But um, yeah, I mean, look, like I said, I, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Like, at the time, I was all for trading for Rick Nash. I thought he was what the Bruins needed. Bona fide player in that league. But yeah, I mean I I like Lingren's game a lot. And I I I think he looked good in the in a Bruins uniform. But that that ship has sailed a long time ago. And he's the Rangers realize his his value and his worth. And I think he's kind of a, a staple for them on the on the back end. Obviously, a different type of staple than Adam Fox, but he's he's the guy that's gonna block all those shots and take all those hits and all the dirty work for them so he's 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 an important player and um yeah all right he
1: he outlasted nash by quite a while obviously he was just a prospect back back then but uh nash has been out of the league for a while and it did not turn out how the bruins expected it to um yeah i mean uh, yeah like
0: unfortunately there's a concussion basically right when he gets to the bruins and they just they just like threw it all off from the start and you know i it's like it's a good what if. Like I, I still wonder how that might have turned out if, yeah, if that doesn't happen and things go a little better because I think there also like there might have been talk about an extension after that.
1: And mm-hmm. He was genuinely too one of the nicest people I've talked to. Like he is just, yeah. he was so nice. Yeah, I sat there and talked to him for about twenty minutes just about college hockey, and he was so nice.
2: Yeah, for for the career he had, he did have a very quiet exit uh, out of the league, and kind of reminds me of like. Nathan Horton with the Bruins. Like he wins the Stanley Cup with the Bruins in 2011. Um, he's part of the team in 2012, gets hurt. Uh, 2013, he's back on that top line. And then that summer he gets traded to, or or, or not traded. I think he uh, just left in free agency, but he goes to Columbus and like played maybe, maybe a dozen games that year. And then you just never heard of him again. Like a couple of years, like literally a year removed from being a top line player in a league. And actually, was a top line player in the league at the time of his retirement. Just forced to retire. It just yeah. It's crazy when you see he still he
1: lives in Columbus. That. Does he? And, and he works for the Blue Jackets. Like I said, he's a scout. Um, Wait, are you, are you Nash, right?
2: Nash or Horton? Right?
1: Oh, Nash, oh, Nash. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, Nash I, I, lives in Columbus, right? Horton now. might
2: still live in Columbus for all we know, too. But right. um, just just another quiet you know end to an NHL career. Like again, like the, the Horton one. He literally was. A top liner when he was forced to retire and leave the game, but
0: yeah, and again, like unfortunately, just what injuries can do with Horner. I would think it was well, like his neck or his back, and
2: yeah, and
0: just something like he just couldn't recover from.
1: It was his back. Yeah.
2: Well, um, he did carry the Bruins in in a lot of those playoff series too, against the Canadians and the Lightning, with some key moments. So um, definitely a uh, was he was on the top hundred, right? Yes.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
2: he was. Sure. Yeah. Do, you have, do you remember where he ranked, what range he was in Scott?
0: Well, they, they didn't – so they didn't release, like, a ranking of the 100. Um, I think I think I had him in the 50s on my yeah. list. And, and just, <sighs> just because, like you said, just because of the huge moments. Like, mm. that's a guy who didn't have to be here a long time to be a legend. When you score as many big goals as he did during a cup run, like mm-hmm.
2: – yeah, no, exactly. I, I, I he was great. He was, a, he was a fun player to watch when he was healthy. Uh, okay, any final takeaways from the weekend that was, or anything coming up we should we should talk about?
1: Well, just because we were talking about the lunch pail era and and the ceremony that they had, um, I, I, I know like that maybe this is just me, but it seemed like a lot of people were pretty moved by level uh, Norm Laviolette coming out and dropping the puck um and i think i'm not sure if he had even told anyone that he was gonna try to stand and and drop it and um yeah it was it was it made me cry okay um it was definitely one of those things where it was it, it caused a pretty strong reaction from the crowd from everybody watching
0: yeah and listening to to ray bork talk about that during the second period when he was in the Nessun booth and talk about you know his original you know but the brain aneurysm that ended his career and just how scared for people who might not know like norm levy was a really highly touted prospect and at just 19 years old in 1982 suffered a brain aneurysm during a game out in vancouver that nearly killed him ray bork said he because bork was injured at the time he's so he was back in boston he said he got a call and um, I think he said it was Steve Casper who called him and said like they didn't think he was going to make it through the night, and he ended up in a coma. And obviously, eventually, thank God, you know, pulled out of that. But his hockey career was over. And yeah, bringing him out on the ice, it it brought back memories of of the closing of the old Boston Garden when they brought him out on the ice for that. So um yeah, that was that was a really awesome moment.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that was, you know, they've done a really good job with the era's nights. Yeah, Uh, we've been, we've been at the garden for a few of them and we were there for opening night. Uh, we've, you know, they've done a good job making guys available to us, like, uh, having guys be able to tell their own story, go on in the intermissions, um, the pregame ceremonies, everything has been very well done on these era nights so far.
2: Yeah, I mean, Exactly. You took the words out of my mouth there with the other nights and just everything in general, any, any event or even, even down to social media, like everything in the centennial season for the Bruins has been, uh, has been top notch and, and really about good. Jersey's? <laughs> I should. Yeah. Okay. maybe not everything, but well, the, the, those, the
0: third ones that they wear for yeah, these, those are, those,
2: those are great. Those are great. Yeah. I do like those. Um, but anyway, uh, maybe the hundredth season will end, will end in a, another championship it would be their seventh Stanley cup six and a hundred. They got six in the first 99.
0: Yeah. Six, yeah.
2: Oh, well, we'll see. We'll see long way to go to get there though. Um, okay. So coming up, they have, they have Minnesota, I believe on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, oddly enough, they played Minnesota like twice in, in like the same week. And I, I've noticed that for some reason, they, when the Bruins play Western conference teams, oftentimes like they're within like the same week of each other. Like they played the, the Blackhawks twice off the hop. They play the Ducks twice off the hop. They play the 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 Wild twice in a week. It's like I, there's got to be something there where the, the NHL just like tries to get these interconference <laughs> home and homes out of the way because how else do you explain that? Like, you know what I mean? It's it's not just like one occurrence. It happens um, throughout the schedule. If you if you actually pay attention, you'll see it more than more than a few times.
0: Yeah, and he, you know, like even within conferences, you you get this a lot where you know, play them on the road, then they come, come back home. Um, but it, it's more noticeable to the Western Conference teams because that's the only two times you play them. So, um, you know, like Bruins being done with Conan Bedard a week into his career, it was like, all right, guess we'll see Conor Bedard next year. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. It worked out. Okay. Well, actually you still scored on him, but.
2: <laughs> yeah. Just try his try first it.
1: goal at the garden, actually. First, first initial goal it was at the garden.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that the, the league's trying to build that, that Bruins Wild Rivalry. Get it get it going this year. So um
1: but and okay. W-
0: but- Winnipeg in there too. No 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 better place to be around the holidays than Winnipeg. Mm-hmm.
1: By the way, I'm a little bit bummed out that one of those games uh right before the holiday isn't in Boston because my gift for my Christmas gift for Scott isn't coming in until the 22nd, which means I can't mm-hmm. give it to him Tuesday. And I might just have to show up at his house and give him it um and you yours brian as well uh but I, yeah. I was hoping to, to like get it in and give it to scott at the garden but no they're on the road the 22nd yeah. and 23rd
2: Got to come down the chimney
1: yeah <laughs> he's gonna love it he's gonna absolutely love it would you get me mm. <laughs>
2: I'll, I'll show you guys when we, when we record in person you know, we gotta have a one the, of these. I think we might have to
1: today. in order for me to give you guys your gifts.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stream yeah, stream the, streamer might, might might miss us for an episode, but it'd be worth it.
0: So that the, the problem is is Bridget, Bridget is a great gift giver and actually gives thoughtful gifts. And I'm I'm just not first off, I'm just not a thoughtful person, so yeah.
1: can't confirm. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just I I, that is one of my strengths. I'm good at making gifts. That's the real danger, is that mm. I can make almost anything. I made you guys homemade yeah. uh, g- uh, meth bear glasses, um, like ear yep. glasses last year. I made Scott a meth bear mouse pad for last season. Um, did, you make this,
2: did you make the skate pod t-shirts? I made us
1: skate pod t-shirts, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I designed this this gift for this year as well so you're yeah, always gonna get a custom gift for me
0: <laughs> if, I, if i made stuff for you guys it would be stick figures and macaroni
1: <laughs> scott gave us scott gave us uh, a tree house last year which was perfect yeah. for the beer glasses so
2: that's true you guys will have to hang tight to see what i to see what uh to see what i got you in the meantime um i actually think we should probably we should try to record in person i think at least once maybe, maybe we once. should
1: i want to see scott's face when he opens his gift mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> I, think I mean I even if i not
0: a
1: person, person i can
0: open it on the pod true I can save, save it
1: true
2: all right oh and scott congratulations you you uh you were on the right side of history i think with our, our last twitter poll more people than not are satisfied with jake DeRusks play outside of the lack of production yep so um Bunch of homers. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but the funny thing is that the homer thing kind of feels like it's to, to like shit on Jake DeBrusque kind of feels like the yeah. the thing that people have been, I don't know. Um, I, I'm on Scott's side and, and the polls side. Yeah.
2: He had a couple of games this weekend, right? A few good games, DeBrusque. Yeah. Next, I, there, there, I thought there, so. there, there, there. Okay, yeah.
1: <laughs> Brian was being sarcastic
0: <laughs> Well, no I, 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 I out there. think he I did think he was creating some chances and you know he got moved off that top line or I guess maybe it depends on what you want to call the top line but mm. he ends up with with Martian and coil and I thought he helped I still don't love the Martian coil combination together, but I thought Debrusque helped them look a little better than they had when it was Frederick there like he he just brought, you know, at least a little jump to that line that was needed, but, um, but yeah, still, still no goals. So,
2: I mean, I, I like, I liked them against the Rangers. I thought he had some jump, um, but, yeah, anyway. yeah.
1: He, he played on the power play against the Islanders, but not the Rangers. Like they top unit, I should say. Like I don't know why, especially when Pasternak was out, Zuck is out. Like why, why he wasn't getting more time on the top unit, but instead. Um, it's going to geeky and, and JVR, and, and you know, they're not, he's not used on the power play all that much, even at times when it seems like it could be a natural spot for them to cycle him in.
2: Well, don't you, don't you think like that's, don't you think that's kind of, um, if Montgomery, his head coach, were thrilled with his game outside of the production, don't you think he'd be throwing him out on the power play a little bit? Like, I, I feel like I, you know, who I feel like might not be, um, you know on team he's helping he's helping us find ways to win outside of scoring is, is his coach and his gm and the like, i feel like the bruins internally are probably like he, this kid's got to help us a little bit more than he is
0: um i don't really agree i mean montgomery's giving him the third most 5 on
2: 5 minutes but he's a power, but he team. he should be a power play Player though he has a skill set, I don't know why he's not getting power play time. When when I mean, I healthy.
0: I just think I I think he he plays the same spot as Van Riemsdyk and Van Riemsdyk's just better at it and yeah has been his whole career. Like you know, I don't know. Maybe if you moved to to the bumper or something, but they I think they like Gigi there. They like Zaka there when he's healthy. So
1: Geeky scored from there. You know, unfortunately for DeBrusk,
0: like he's he's going to be a net front guy and he's going to be behind Van Riemsdyk on the depth chart there
2: yeah all right well I had to get that little jab in there before we we finished the recording per usual you know um also bridget am i going crazy or is did scott's lighting change
0: i look blue <laughs> I, I don't know you i don't know why pink.
1: that happened you look blue brian yeah. looks yellow
2: i didn't i didn't realize we were recording with blue man group over here but yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> well mine is because i have this weird light but scott i don't know what happened with scott
0: I don't know. My my camera decided to do a gender reveal mid-podcast.
1: <laughs> it's a boy.
2: <laughs> oh, God. All right. Uh, we should probably wrap it up here. So thank you all for listening. Uh, have a great start to your work week. And we'll talk to you very soon.